Hello, hello. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Casey. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're watching online, we want to welcome you. We're glad that you're part of this series called The Case for Grace. I'm excited to be here. Now, there are two things that they say are always consistent in life, death and taxes. Now, neither of those do we like to talk about, especially in a playoff season. Can I get an amen on that one? Nobody wants to talk about death or taxes, but we're going to talk about one of them today because it's important to our story. Because, you see, in the time when the Bible was written, especially the Jesus parts of the Bible, there was an empire that had covered the world in this red blanket. It was the empire of Rome. Now, if you're going to go out tomorrow and start your own empire, you are going to need some cash. It takes a lot of money to run an empire. So where you get that cash is from taxes. And so the empire of Rome called these guys called tax collectors. Pretty creative title, isn't it? And they had these guys go around to all of their little provinces and collect taxes. Now, you've got to know that Rome was not invited to reign over these places. They invaded and they oppressed people. And so nobody, and I know this is going to seem strange to us, but nobody was excited about paying taxes. It's just the way it was. And so these tax collectors were not really popular guys. Now, add to that the fact that the Jewish people in these places felt like God had given them this land for which they were living. And so, when you had another country come in and oppress them and charge them to live on the land that God had given them, it just felt wrong. So, if they saw a Roman person who was a tax collector, they thought, well, that's just typical. But if they saw a Jewish person who was collecting taxes for Rome, they thought, you're a traitor. You have turned your back on your people. You have turned your back on us. Because there wasn't really a whole lot of rules about taxes back then. You could take whatever you wanted. And so the tax collectors knew, all I have to do is make sure that the boss gets his percent, and I can ask for whatever I want. Sometimes as much as 40, 50, 60 percent of what a person brought in, whether they were a fisherman or a farmer, they could take that from them in taxes. This was serious. That's enough to cause a child to starve. That's enough to thrust a family into deep and lasting poverty. So let's just say, it's not an understatement to say that in any story you hear with a tax collector, the tax collector is the villain. He is the man in the black hat. Everybody else are the ones in the white hats, the heroes. And that's important for us today because our story features a tax collector who's a hero. And it teaches us something because we're in this series about grace. And, and in this series, we've been hearing a lot about the grace of God for all of us. But there's something we learn in this story that's important because, you see, the thing about grace is, if grace isn't for everyone, then it isn't for anyone. So here's how it starts in Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, Jericho is a biblical city where a lot of Jewish people lived. So everyone there was a temple-going, uh, very observant person who was really faithful to God and faithful to the law. And so in the middle of that, you had this guy named Zacchaeus. I'm going to call him Zach because we went to school together and we're tight, you know. So Zach, and, Zach lives in this town and is very well known because he's the chief tax collector, meaning he's the boss of the guy who is skimming from the poor. He is the ultimate in scumbags. He is the boss of the scumbags. 
And so everyone knew him. Now, if you grew up in the church, you heard a nice little song about Zacchaeus, about how he was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, and all that. That makes him sound like a cartoon character. He is not. He is a villain. And so everybody in that city would have known him because it says he's wealthy. So he's doing well at skimming off of the backs of the poor. He would have been well known. He would have been hanging with the Kardashians. He would have had a show on the E! News Network. He was a guy who would have been recognized and he would have been known in this community, which meant he was really easy to hate. He was a simple target to hate. Now, this is what it says about Zach. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short and he could not see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. A sycamore fig tree is a very low-to-the-ground, kind of wide tree with a lot of little V's in the bottom where a short person could actually get in and kind of climb up. Now, this is the most interesting part of this story because there's this tension that's building. Everybody knows who Jesus is, this famous Jewish rabbi, this Nazarene carpenter who was doing healings and teachings and miracles everywhere. So everybody knew him. And then there was this Zach who everybody knew for all the wrong reasons. And now they were in the same place at the same time. What was going to happen when you had these two celebrities in the same place at the same time? And this is where a very interesting part of this story pops out. Because a lot of times you can read this and think, there are only two characters in this story. There's Jesus and there's Zach. But there's actually a third character in this story that's very important for us today. And that third character is the crowd. You see, because the crowd had gathered, and because the crowd had gathered, Zacchaeus could not see Jesus. He's so short, he couldn't see over the crowd. Now, there's a reason why my wife and I take our daughter to parades. And this is going to help you understand this. It's not because she enjoys them. It's because she gets all the best candy. And here's why. Because if you go up to a crowd of people on a parade route, they will let her through. They won't let us through. You guys stand in the back. She can go ahead. And so what we do is we send her on a mission. And she goes in there and she comes back to us with the candy. We carry a bag. And she comes back and we're like, really? A peppermint? We expect better of you. I want you to go back in there, and so you come back with a Tootsie Roll, don't come back. <laughs> the crowd is not doing Zach any favors. They're not letting him get through. They're not letting him get close enough to Jesus. And there's a reason for that. Because his very presence is rubbing their nose in the fact that he is living off of them. He is milking them for all that they are worth. And they see him and they're like, this guy again. Seriously? This great day when Jesus is coming and this guy has to be here? This guy is always here. See, because all of us have those people that we, we would like them just to go away. Maybe because they've hurt us. They've wounded us. Maybe they've not done anything to us personally, but what they represent and what they stand for, they don't look like us or act like us or think like us or worship like us or talk like us or live a lifestyle like we live. And because of that, we think if they would just go away, my life would be so much better. These people that we feel like God has grace for us, but for them, I'm not so sure. I'd like to call those people our tree people today, if I can. These are the people that we see and we say, that person is a traitor and a villain. 
And so they're very excited about this, but they they haven't learned the lesson yet. Because there's this huge lesson that's about to pop out for them. And it comes down to the fact that because, you see, the thing about grace is, if grace isn't for everyone, then it isn't for anyone. So Jesus, the Son of God in flesh, the incarnate Son of God in, in huge language, but Jesus, God walking around in skin, is coming. And finally, somebody's going to take Zach to task. Somebody's finally going to say, dude, get your act together because you're going to hell and figure it out. Stop being who you are. Stop oppressing these people. The people in Jericho are very excited because Jesus is going to come and bring some fire. And he's going to set things right. And this is what we see and this is what happens. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, to Zach, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now think about this. You've got, the, you've got this guy in the tree. You've got this evil tax collector, this villain that everyone hates up in the tree. And then you've got this crowd, this very curious group of people who are wondering, what is Jesus going to do? But they also think Jesus is on our team. So whoever we hate, he's going to hate. Whoever we're against, he's going to be against. And he's going to take that little dude in the tree out behind the woodshed. And so Jesus shows up and the exact opposite thing happens. And they have to speak bad of him at this point because Jesus now is no longer on their team. That's why they say he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. Jesus is taking a totally different tack on life than they expected him to do. Because you see, Jesus is never worried in this story about his reputation. Jesus is never concerned about what other people think about him. He's always going to places where he's not supposed to be. And so at this point, they're thinking, he's not like us. He's in places we would never, ever go. I have a friend who did 11 years in maximum security prison because one night he was with some friends and they said, let's go out to dinner. And he's like, sure, that'd be great. And they were like, well, we got to stop and get some money first. He said, all right, that's fine. So they get in the car, and they, they take off, and they stop at this trailer out in the middle of nowhere. And he said, um, I was thinking ATM, maybe? Uh, something else? And they said, no, no, no. We need to get some money for dinner. And they break into this trailer. Nobody's home. They start stealing things. And all of a sudden, the owner of the trailer comes home. And one of the guys that he's with said, don't worry, I'll take care of this. And he goes outside, and he confronts the owner of the house in his driveway And he pulls out a gun and he shoots him at point-blank range and kills him. And my friend, who is there by coincidence, does 11 years in maximum security prison with guys who actually killed people. And while he was there, while he was in prison, he came to know Jesus. Which begs the question, why do so many people find Jesus in prison? What is he doing there anyway? It's an important question because that's the kind of places where Jesus ended up. That was the kind of the reputation that he had. Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners. That's who he was. And so now the story jumps. And we get into the place where Jesus and Zach are hanging out at Zach's house. And this is what it says. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus hasn't said a word to him. 
He hasn't come down on him. He hasn't preached to him. He hasn't tried to convict him. All he's done is said, hey, let's hang out. And when Jesus comes to Zacchaeus' house, everything changes. There's this massive change of heart that takes place in Zach's life. And all of it happens because if Jesus will hang out with me, a tree person, then what else is possible? Now the crowd at this point is howling because they're all saying, you should be hanging out with us, man. We're clean. We're good. We're on your team. We got a brand new flat screen. We got the nice comfy couches. Come to our house. Come to our house. But instead... Instead, he goes to Zacchaeus, and everything changes. Because you see, Jesus is the kind of guy that wants to hang out with tree people. He wants to find them. He wants to be with them. He wants to call them to himself. And I love Zacchaeus' reaction to what Jesus had to say, because it's crazy. Because he says, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. You know who the poor are, right? The crowd, everybody who's watching this, he said, I'm going to give half my possessions to them because I got them from them anyway. And if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to pay back four times the amount. Who has he cheated? Everybody. He's been cheating everybody. And now he's going to give them four times what he's taken? And this is not even what's required by the law. Listen to what Numbers says. It says, they must make, anybody who's stolen, must make full restitution for the wrong they have done and add a fifth of the value to it and give it all to the person they have wronged. He is only responsible for one time plus a fifth of what he's taken from people. And he says, look, I'm going to give four times what I've taken from people, what I've cheated them out of. He has this massive change of heart, and he's caught up in this thing because when Jesus comes to your house and the roof doesn't cave in and you don't burst into flames, everything is different. I hear so many stories of people who have been distant from God for so long, and they come into a place like this, or they come into a church like this, and they come in thinking, man, the roof's going to cave in when I get there. Or somebody has told them along the way, don't go in that place, you're going to burst into flames i got to tell you, we've never had anybody spontaneously combust here, ever. And the roof is still up somehow, even though we're all here. So either we're wrong, either, either we are better than we thought, or it's just that Jesus loves tree people. And he wants nothing more than to hang out with them. I want to be with you. And so for Zacchaeus, for Zach, he's thinking, listen, if he knows who I am, and he knows what I've done, He knows my past, he knows my story, and he still wants to be with me. What else? What else is possible? What else could possibly happen in my life? But it gets better. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and save the lost. He's basically saying to the crowd, the person you hate the most, you better get used to them because they're coming to Thanksgiving dinner. Set them a place. They're a part of the group. They're a part of the crowd. Get them on the email distribution list. He's going to be here for a while. Because this is the kind of Jesus we know from the scriptures. The one who chases down the tree people. Who goes to people who he doesn't care about what it will do to his reputation. Because he is commissioned to seek and save the lost. And all of us are lost. And he comes to us at the moment when we are stuck. And he says, I want to hang out with you. I want to be with you. And let's see what that does. That's what grace is about. The good news, no, no, the great news is that Jesus loves the tree people because we have to get used to this thing because the thing about grace is if grace isn't for everyone, 
then it isn't for anyone. And the crowd is flipping out about this. They're enraged. And the thing that they're saying, and we would all say it too if we were them, the thing that they're saying is this, it's not fair. I go to the temple. I do everything I'm supposed to do. You come to my town and you go hang out with him. That's not fair. And you know what Jesus' response would be? You're absolutely right. Because grace isn't fair. Grace is gratuitous. It is over and above. Grace is undeserved and unmerited favor. And it goes both ways because Jesus would look at the crowd and say, the grace that you receive from God is the same grace that's good enough for him. Because if it's not good enough for him, then it's not good enough for you. It can't be amazing for you and like okay for him. Grace is amazing both ways. It's an equal opportunity offender because all of you at one point were a tree person. All of you were someone Zacchaeus in varying degrees at one point or another. So let's just clear the air in here today. Will you turn to the person next to you and say, you might be a tree person. Turn to the person next to you and just say, you might be a tree person. (laughs) And if we are tree people, here's the great news. The great news is we all get what we do not deserve. All of us get grace. All of us get what we do not deserve right where we are. Brennan Manning says it this way, All that is good is ours, not by right, but by the sheer bounty of a gracious God. You see, grace is ordering regular fries and getting a curly fry in them. (laughs) Yeah? Grace is a bank error in your favor. In Monopoly, grace is finding money on the street. Grace is a penalty kill goal when you are short-handed. Grace is a hole-in-one. Grace is something that you cannot achieve on your own power, but is given to you because God is gratuitous. And he loves to give, and especially to people who think they don't deserve it. Ephesians tells us this, because of his great love for us, great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. This is what Zacchaeus locks into because he knows who he is. He knows he's a tree person. He knows he's a traitor. He knows he's an extortionist. He knows he's the worst of the worst of the worst. And so if Jesus can come and hang out with him, what other incredible miracles are possible? And so he locks into this grace, this gratuitous, unmerited grace. I love this story because at some point or another, we're all in it. We're all a character in it, and probably two characters at any one point in our life. Some of us, when we came in here today, we're, we're in Zacchaeus' spot. We're in the tree. And for whatever reason, we've been there for quite some time. Maybe it's because we went to a church and they said, until you clean your act up, God doesn't want to have anything to do with you. Or because of your lifestyle, or because of your agenda, or because of the way you've acted, or because of your past mistakes, or because of who you've done what with when. Because of those things, until you get those right, you have put this uncrossable boundary between you and God. And to you, if you are in the tree, if you are in Zach's spot today, I want you to know Jesus loves tree people. And he is coming in this moment and standing at the bottom of the tree and saying, come down and hang out with me today. Let's get this thing right. 
I want to be with you just as you are, just where you are, just as who you are, because that's the kind of person I've come to save. Romans 5 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we've stopped being tax collectors, not after we've cleaned up our act, not after we've gotten rid of all the problems in our life. In fact, we can't do that without him. It's right then while we were still in the tree. So Zacchaeus kind of becomes this infomercial for grace. So if I can have it, so can you. And there's no like six easy payments of $29.95 either. It's like, it's just free. Seriously, it's free. So the question for us today is, are you in the tree today? Maybe you've been there for so long you you don't even realize it. Maybe it just feels like where you're supposed to be. If you're in the tree today, I want you to know Jesus has come and grace belongs to you. He is offering it and extending it even though you don't think you deserve it. So come down and hang out with him. But I want to switch gears a little bit because there's another character in this story that we often end up becoming like, and that is the crowd. You see, because the crowd are people that at one point grace was amazing, and now it's sort of become assumed. Like, yeah, we're in, and these crowd people have some expectations for Jesus about who's in and who is out, and they're getting a little bit nervous about the kind of people Jesus is inviting over to dinner, because they are not the kind of people that you would expect Jesus to hang out with. They don't look like them or talk like them or act like them. They are offensive by their natural being alive. And so the crowd begins to get a little antsy with Jesus because they start hearing things about him and they start hearing about his reputation. And it says that this is what is said about Jesus. The son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. How do you get that reputation? You hang out with tax collectors and sinners. That's the kind of person Jesus was, and it's making the people whom grace used to be amazing for a little bit twitchy. Because you see, it's not safe anymore. Because if you start inviting tree people over for dinner, they're messy. And, and, and they don't exactly fit the mold, and they aren't our kind of people. Or they have, you don't know what they've done to us, Jesus. Maybe you should have like a trial period before they can come and be a part of the crowd. You see, Jesus has this really annoying habit of making friends with our enemies. Because once they're his friends, then they're our friends too. And in doing that, he does that amazing twist where he begins to teach us the reality of grace. Because the thing about grace is, if grace isn't for everyone, then it isn't for anyone. And so if we're in the crowd, if it's good enough for us, it's good enough for others. So the question might be, for those who have hurt us, for those whose agenda is different than ours, for those we don't want to be a part of the family, can we let grace extend to them? Can we be like Jesus and take his grace to the tree people? Can we bless someone who has cursed us? We talk a lot about being on mission around here. Our mission is a mission to tree people. And in order to do that, we're going to have to become okay with the fact that Jesus loves some people we are not okay with. We're going to have to be okay with the fact that there are going to be people in in heaven that we don't want to hang out with. That's going to be a little awkward. We're going to have to go find a corner for a while and then come back and see if we can work that out. 
are we able to find again that amazing grace that's amazing not just for us, but for others? Will we let grace go to them as it came to us? Because we were never intended to hoard it. If you're part of the crowd today, this was never intended to be your private party, our private party. Because listen to what it says in Colossians. It says, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This is about grace not just being a possession. This is about grace becoming contagious. This is about grace being viral. Grace expanding and infecting every person on the face of the planet. Because that's been the plan from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 12, it says this, God speaking to Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless you so that you might be a blessing. Grace is viral, and it's meant to be spread and to be shared. I was talking to a friend. We were talking about our kids getting sick, and she told me, I don't know, have you heard of chicken pox parties? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? All right, I hope not, because this is amazing. I I couldn't believe this actually happened. When they had a neighborhood of kids that all played together, and one of them, the first one, got chicken pox, they would invite all the kids over to one house, and they would get like a dum-dum sucker, and then lick it and have them pass it around so that they all got chicken pox at the same time and got over with. Where is DCFS when you need them? (laughs) What is going on here? They wanted to get it done so that everybody could be clear and then they could just move on. And it's funny because that's horrible, but it's kind of what we're talking about. That grace was meant to be passed from person to person. It was meant to be shared. It wasn't meant to be hoarded. So when Jesus starts talking to the crowd and he says, listen, if grace is good enough for you, it's good enough for him because the world will be saved when grace is shared. Everything that we see that is darkness and brokenness about the world in which we live can be solved and rescued and repaired by a people of grace. I believe that once the world gets its dose of grace-filled people who are graceful people to graceless people, everything will change. When grace-filled people become graceful people, to grace less people, we will see the cycle of brokenness that we live in totally and utterly transformed. So can we be on mission as a crowd and begin to spread that amazing grace like a virus in our workplaces, in our families, in our neighborhoods, even to those people who have hurt us? I know that this is difficult. I get it. Because maybe your tree person is someone who has abused you. Maybe your tree person is someone who has left you. Maybe it's an ex Maybe it's one of your kids who has hurt your feelings. Maybe it's an institution or a religion that seems to stand against you and for, against everything that you stand for. Maybe it's that person on Facebook that you just are so irritated by everything that they post. I don't know who that person is. And I know this is a process. Forgiveness is a process. It's not an instantaneous kind of thing. So how do we start this? How do we start becoming a people of grace? Jesus teaches this, and he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Jesus says, if you only love people who love you, you are just as good as your worst enemy. Congratulations. 
But if we become the kind of people who can pray for those who are against us, love those who have hurt us, and go through the process of learning how to do that, and begin to ask the curious questions, how do I love my enemy? When we do that, we find our enemies becoming friends, and they're already friends with Jesus, so we might as well get used to hanging out with them. Because it is a much greater lifestyle to free someone from forgiveness than imprison them from our hatred. We can't live that way. We weren't meant to live that way. We are a people of amazing grace who have forgotten how amazing it can be to somebody else. And we need to reclaim that and recover that and restore that. Because when we do, the cycle of gracelessness begins to be dented and dismantled and torn apart. I got in my car this week and I put the key in the ignition and I, I turned it on and the radio crackled to life and began to talk about a recent criminal trial that had just ended. And this trial involved a man who was murdered, and his name was Odin Lloyd. Odin was the son of a single mom who was a Caribbean immigrant. He had sisters, and his mom raised his whole, he and his sisters, very powerfully because she did everything it took to keep them in school, to keep them out of trouble. She worked multiple jobs to provide everything that they needed, and she was a rock for them. And so, Father's Day 2013, Odin picked up the phone, called his mom, and wished her a happy Father's Day, because she was both. And not soon after that, not long after that, Odin was taken by three men, including then tight end for the New England Patriots, Aaron Hernandez. He was taken out behind an industrial complex, and he was shot five times in the back of the head, and he was left to die. The injuries that he sustained were consistent enough with a heinous crime that Aaron Hernandez was given a life sentence with no possibility of parole. And when they were sentencing him and the other men involved in this, they gave an opportunity in the sentencing hearing for family members to stand up and say something. And so at that moment, Odin Lloyd's mother, Ursula Ward, stood up and she began to address the court. And she said, on that day when I laid my son to rest, when they put him in that hole, my heart stopped beating. And in that moment, I wanted nothing more than to climb in that hole with my son, Odin. And then she looked up in the tree, at her tree person, at Aaron Hernandez, directly at him across the courtroom, and she said this, I forgive anyone who was involved in my son's murder both before and after. And my prayer is that the world who knows this story will forgive them as well. Nobody in their right mind would criticize her for saying, I hope you rot in prison, I hope it's painful, and I hope you die there. Because that's what you deserve. Instead, she gave him what he did not deserve, which was grace. Because I believe that Ursula Ward was consumed by this life-rendering, altering story where there's this Jesus who goes to treat people who, people who don't deserve it, to a crowd who've forgotten that they didn't deserve it. And he goes to them and he says, because of this, grace and forgiveness belongs to you. Because I believe she could not deny the reality any longer. And the reality is this. The thing about grace is, if grace isn't for everyone, then it isn't for anyone. If not for grace, we'd all still be in that tree. We're going to prepare for communion right now. And I don't know when you came in this room today where you were. If you were 
identifying with Zacchaeus. Maybe this is your first time in a church in a long, long time. I'm so glad you're here. And, and I hope you hear this. That Jesus, his mission was for people who have stories, who have mistakes, who have pasts, you know, great and small, that feel like they should separate us from God. Those are the kind of people Jesus came to seek out and to save. So if you're a Zacchaeus place today, if you're up in the tree just curious, wondering, Jesus has come to say, come down, hang out with me today. Communion is going to be that opportunity for you. Because through this bread and this juice, this body and this blood, it's a new reality where people who were once far from God can now be close to God. But maybe you came in and you identified with the crowd and you realize there's a lot of people that I believe do not deserve grace. I do, but they don't. And so I pray this moment of communion might be a moment for you to rediscover how amazing grace can be for somebody else. To remember that we didn't deserve it, that we were once somebody's Zacchaeus and God rescued us. And so now our mission is to rescue others. So if you're in the crowd today, let this communion be a commissioning for you, a returning of your eyes and your focus to the mission of spreading amazing grace. When we pass the trays, there are two cups, one inside the other, bread in the bottom, juice in the top. Take both of them and hold them. We'll all take communion together. You don't have to be a part of Parkview if you believe in Jesus. This is his table. <laughs> we want to welcome you to that table today. So let's pray together. Father, we're grateful that you are a gratuitous God, that you give us more than we could ever ask or imagine or deserve. And so let this moment, let this bread and this juice, this body and this blood come and change us. Transform us from the inside out into the kind of people who live with this viral grace and we spread it to everyone we know. Bless us now as we celebrate together at your table. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.